Can you stand together with me for the reading of God's word? In Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, we are uh, continuing in uh, part 3 of this series. Today we're talking about teaching. Verse 42 says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared uh, their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Just an amazing, amazing experience. Let's be seated together as these, uh, these believers, this brand new church is emerging. This is what the church looked like in its first purest, uh, prototypical form. That's the church right there. And, uh, we've been jumping into this series on, on these kind of these habits of the church, this teaching together and breaking bread and, and fellowship and in, in, in because in prayer because we want to understand what it was that created such a momentous growth of the church. Last week we talked about fellowship and we said that fellowship is is being together for missional purpose. There's a reason why you gather. There's a there's in there's momentum and re, and purpose uh, for our gathering. It's for a spiritual missional reason. The different things that we do even around here, whether it's on the softball field or in a Sunday class or a home group. Or around a table. We gather for a missional purpose. There's a reason why we do it. It's to lead people to the cross. We're creating connections to lead people to a full life in Christ. And that's what we want to be about. And we said that fellowship is, is love. And we just, I just want to remind you of these four things. We said that fellowship is love. It's localized. The L stands for localized. In other words, it's face to face. It's in homes. It's, it's to gathering. It's, it's not just online, although there's some cool things there. This week I met a guy who started, some of you might want to follow this on Instagram. It's called Insta Church Live. And they're doing a 10 minute church service on Instagram every Thursday at 6 or 8 p.m. It's awesome. And their, their goal is to give people a taste to church and then hopefully you'll find your way in. But they know that that's not the full experience in Insta Church. You got to be face to face. The gospel fellowship is localized. It's organized. It's structured. They met in homes. They met in the temple. They counted. They kept track who was in, who was out, who was getting baptized. And it's visible. This means that people get to see your heart. They get to see what the needs are. They knew what each other, they, they were sold property and helped one another because they knew what the needs were. They weren't just all putting on a mask every Sunday and saying, hey, isn't everything great? Some things weren't great. And they say, well, we can help that one and, and I can help that one over there. And then it was the best one, eating together. E for eating together, intentional meals together, gathering in homes, but also the Lord's Supper Breaking of bread. And then today I want to jump on this verse, or the first part of that verse. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, we talked a few couple weeks ago, we talked about this corporate prayer life, this kind of life of prayer together. And we talked about their, their sort of missional fellowship together. Um, the next couple Sundays we're going to look at stewardship or generosity. We're going to look at evangelism. But at the center of this life together is this question of authority. By that I mean, on what authority did they gather? Like on what gave them the, the authority or the, the rationale or the motivation to gather and practice 
these habits, what sort of fueled it? And I would say it's this. It's the apostles teaching. It's the teaching together of the apostles. Okay, so who were the apostles? What did they teach? Why did that matter? And so what? Who cares? Right? Isn't that ultimately the question we always need to ask is, so what? Who cares? Why does it matter? Okay, so four quick questions, four hopefully quick answers for you. Don't know if I've ever done anything quick when I'm speaking. Who are the apostles? Jesus' closest followers, 11 of them now. Where's 12? Uh, but but dropped dropped one. He dropped himself, actually. We'll go into that some other time. So these are now leaders of the local church. They've stepped into leadership as empowered by Jesus. That's who's doing the teaching. The guys who'd been with Jesus and learned from him. And what are they teaching? Well, they're teaching about Jesus. They're teaching about the, the, the gospel, the good news of salvation by faith alone, by grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus. That's what they're teaching. They're teaching that you're saved not by the law, but by God's grace. They're teaching about Jesus based out of the Old Testament, the same book that Jesus used. They're teaching the new covenant, the new agreement that you're saved because Jesus went to the cross for us. Why are they doing this? This is a good question. Why would they need to teach this thing? If these people are already saved, why keep teaching? Well, because Jesus makes every believer a new person. The Bible promises that you're a new creation, a new person in Christ. And if you're a new person, you need a new community because you have a new identity. And so by teaching, they're building a, a, a framework, an ethic to have a community together to understand what do we believe and what do we practice. And then the last kind of so what question or how does it impact us today? What difference does it make now? I would say this, that the same teaching is relevant. The gospel is still transforming lives. I love, Lori, what you shared about getting this kind of fresh insight about even just that, you know, what's going to stick with me is that image of of candle versus a lamp. And, and it's not up to me to burn myself out for Jesus, but it's just up to me to let the Holy Spirit fuel that. That'll preach. Like, that's going to stick with me. Right? That's what they were doing because the Bible continues to speak to our lives right now. All right? So all of this is preserved for us in the Bible, the teaching the apostles and their experience including we have the same Bible that they did. What we call the Old Testament was their Bible. If you go to Israel today and you meet uh, Jews, they talk about the Bible. And what they're talking about is the first 39 books of our Bible, the Hebrew script. And you've heard this. We're like the Bible. This cute mnemonic device, B-I-B-L-E. Right, that's the book for me. Um, B-I-B-L-E says for basic and before leaving earth. It's a kind of memorable way to remember how to spell Bible. I, I don't know how many of you needed help spelling Bible, but if you needed help spelling the word Bible, you can use that basic instruction before leaving earth. And, and that's fine. It's cute. But listen, the Bible is so much more than basic instruction. It's not simply instructive. It's authoritative. And there's a difference. So it's not just that the Bible, like, makes good suggestions or teaches me history, which it does. It actually speaks to my life and directs the kinds, the ways I make decisions. I I make the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time, the way I invest my life. Because of what it says in here, it's authoritative. It has authority in my life. If you open a finance book, I recently read this fun finance book called 
the barefoot investors. It's like the Australian Dave Ramsey, basically. And it's a fun read because half the words I didn't understand because they're Australian. And uh, he gives like some really good advice and even like strong direction. You got to do this and you got or he would say, hey, mate, you got to do this and you got to do that or however they would say it. Right. But listen, it doesn't have authority over my life. It doesn't have must do authority. The way the Bible does. So I want to get back to how does this fit in now with the apostles? How does this fit with the apostles? Because remember, there was no New Testament yet. It hadn't been written. They're the guys that are going to write it. So it hasn't been written yet. So what do we have in this Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament? It's it's the book that Jesus taught from. It's what Jesus read. It's what Jesus promoted. And they are unpacking this fresh message of the gospel. You know, Jesus was the one that said things like, well, you've heard it said that this, this, and this, but I say to you this, this, and this. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law, to bring it to its completion so that we can move from an old agreement or an old covenant to a new covenant. God is doing a new thing. It was prophesied. It was foretold in, in books like Isaiah and Ezekiel. See, I'm doing something new, God says. That's a new agreement. And so they're unpacking this message of the gospel. What does it mean that Jesus is the Savior? Saved from what? Why would he come? What does the blood of Jesus accomplish in our lives? What is grace? How do you access it? So they're teaching all these things. And why would they do that? Because of what Jesus, the last kind of final instruction Jesus gave to them. It's recorded in one place in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. But first part of verse 20 says it this way. Jesus speaking to his disciples says, teach... These new disciples, that means the people that are going to become followers of Jesus, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So he said, you're going to go make disciples, you're going to baptize them, and you're going to teach them. Last week we saw some people baptized here, and we're teaching them all the commands of Jesus. So they are now telling what Jesus told them. They're repeating it. And so, you know, from the very start... It was about obeying the commands of Jesus, doing what Jesus did. And it wasn't about head knowledge. Listen, you wanted people with head knowledge, they had them. We call them Pharisees. They knew everything there was to know. About It wasn't about just learning more. It was about living it out. Living it. Life change. Application of God's word. And so, listen, I got to tell you this. Reading this book will not change your life. There's plenty of people who have read this book and are completely unchanged by it. Unless you are wanting it, wanting to apply what it says. Holy Spirit, make it come alive to me. We used to sing a little song. Speak to me, Lord, in your word today. Open my eyes to hear your word, I pray. It's interesting that we see with your eyes, you see the words. But as you see this, you hear what God says. There's a connection in the, in the word that brings those two things together. Reading the Bible will not change you, but applying it will. All right, so we get a picture of apostolic teaching in the rest of Acts. And I'm going to give you a couple examples. For example, in chapter 2, you got Peter preaching to this great crowd of people who've just witnessed the Pentecost event. And they're like, wow, what's going on? And Peter gets up and he starts preaching and he just brings it. He quotes Old Testament, he quotes the prophet Joel. He talks about Jesus. He just, he lays the heavy on him. You killed Jesus! They're like, whoa! 
Yes, you did. And then they just like, what do we need to do to be saved? And he says, you got to repent from your sin and turn to Jesus. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and everyone's to come after you. And you, you read on and in late in the middle of kind of chapter 5. The, it says all the apostles where they were out preaching the gospel. And it says they were arrested. I think they all got arrested as a group for preaching. It says literally for teaching in the name of Jesus. Remember, they had crucified Jesus. They didn't want Jesus around. They're talking about this Jesus who's supposed to be dead. And they were teaching about him later in chapter 5. It says they were teaching that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Savior for the Jewish people. What about chapter 6? We're told that they appointed deacons in the church so that the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and teaching. Others did that. Volunteers did the work so these guys could bring the word. Chapter 8, they're scattered because of persecution. They go all these places and it says they were preaching as they went these places, teaching about Jesus. Later in chapter 8, they've been to Samaria. The Holy Spirit's come in power. They've been speaking in tongues. Amazing things are happening. And it says, then they went from all these villages, preaching in Samaria about Jesus. All the while, they go all these places. They're baptizing people on water and in the Holy Spirit. And this this... You know, it's just this transformation is happening. And what are they teaching? It's always Jesus-centered. It's always about Jesus, the gospel message of salvation through Jesus. Now, later you get the Apostle Paul who wrote many of the letters of the New Testament. And Paul then kind of unpacks, well, what do you do with this? Okay, now I'm saved. I've experienced the grace of God. What do I do with this now? And Paul does a better job of sort of unpacking the, the ethic and the, the, the lifestyle and the behavior and, and, and how God is working and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and all of those coming. And then John talks about kind of what's to come in the end. But, but really, these apostles were preaching the message of Jesus. So let me take you back to beginning of verse 42, right? All the believers who were together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We've talked about that devoted, that word devoted every, every week that I've been up here. Really, just that it means it's a priority. It's, you, you give yourself to that. And the effect was that the believers were increasingly equipped to share the gospel with others while withstanding the persecution. So what's happening is as the, as the gospel is having this impact and it's really changing the pattern of their lives, the authorities begin to bring persecution on them, to oppress them, to try to quell it, to shut it down, make it go away, stop this business. You've upset the status quo. Let's just go back to the way things were. But in that, they have courage because they've received the teaching of the apostles. They have courage to keep speaking about Jesus everywhere. They go holding fast to their new life in Christ. Okay, so we get that. Nice, that's fine. Everything all about that. But you say, but really, can the Bible really be trusted today? I mean, this teaching of the apostles, is it, is it reliable? I mean, let's, let's be honest, it's kind of old. It's kind of old fashioned. Doesn't really speak to every issue of our day. Maybe it's not relevant anymore. Maybe it's out of date. Maybe it needs to be updated a little bit. It seems a little out of touch. Some say, well, the Bible has just got too much hate and too much violence and it's got bigotry in it. And, you know, there's polygamy and there's, there's stories of rape and incest and, 
and, and violence and genocide and like really that's what we're going to read we're going to that's what we're going to use in Sunday school for our children that book um yeah that's the book you think well how can that be like look at some of the terrible things that are recorded in the bible not everything in the bible is prescriptive some things are Descriptive. So some things are simply described. Here's what happened. Prescriptive means prescribing. Here's separate the two things. Right at creation. As God creates the heavens and the earth and everything that you enjoy, He creates all the animals and then He creates humans and it says male and female, He created them. Later, Jesus refers references back to that. And explains marriage is for one man and one woman exclusively for life. There's allowance for divorce. Situations where that, that basically is designed. And yet there's these guys, they have wives, seven wives, hundreds of wives, you think. Well, why is that in the Bible? I mean, what's going on? Between prescriptive and descriptive. And I will tell you this, every time that something is shown to us that's outside of God's design... We also are allowed to see all the disastrous effect of that. It always unpacks all the consequences and like, okay, let's talk about this. So, uh, you know, a guy like Jacob married two wives, sisters. That was a bad idea, right? And at no point does it have to tell us what Jacob did was a bad idea. But you read it, and if you've got half a brain, you're like, the guy's an idiot. Like, that was dumb. And somehow in the midst of that, God in his marvelous, marvelous grace works his redemptive story. That's always the good news. Whatever you've done, however badly you've messed up, whatever you didn't get around to doing, whatever you procrastinated about, somehow God is still bigger than all of that. Somehow his grace continues to, to plow through all of that, sometimes scooping it in as part of your amazing story, what God's going to do. Think about this. Think about some of the dumbest things you've done. Some of the stupidest things you've said. And you still remember it 20 years later. You think, I wish I hadn't said that. But somehow God is still allowing those things to teach you and shape you and mold you because he has a redemptive story in the, from even the worst trials you go through. Whether they're your fault or whether they weren't your fault. Things that someone did to you. Or against you or said about you. And somehow God can work all of that. That's the story. But that's the difference between descriptive and prescriptive. Okay, that was a little bit longer of a rabbit trail than I meant to, to get on. But you think, well, is it even true? Is this like, it's nice stories. It's like, uh, can you really rely on that? I mean, maybe it's made up. Maybe, maybe it just forgot to address our culture's issues. Stories that we're dealing with right now, like... Like sexuality and immigration and all those things. Like, does it really speak to all that? It speaks to all of that and continues to speak to that. If you've got these questions, and they're good questions, it's really okay to ask those questions. I would urge you, even if you say, man, I've been a believer for, you know, 50 years or five years or five months or five days. I would urge you to attend the Alpha Course this fall. Alpha Course is just an amazing uh, our small group kind of setting or small class kind of setting. We do it typically on Wednesday nights. And uh, 
watch a little video and then you create kind of discussion tables. One of the sessions is exclusively about the Bible. I'm going to give you a little bit of, um, you know, some, some pictures or like a little infographic here. Like here you've got 66 books. Remember, it's not a book. It's a library, right? 66 books in this library written over a span of about 1500 years. You got about 40 different authors. You got it written across three different languages. Um, you, you've got, you've got, um, history, you've got poetry, you've got letters, you've got prophecy, you've got all these different things all packed, law, you've got it all packed in, apocalyptic literature all packed into one library of books. You've got 2,000 years of Christian history that affirm again and again the veracity of this word. You've got prophecies being fulfilled again and again. It's consistent in its message and its story throughout, in spite of all that time. It's radical sometimes. It's even difficult in its truth claims that, like, for example, Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's pretty, that's pretty difficult to accept. But listen, just because truth is ancient does not make it obsolete. Just because truth is ancient does not make it obsolete. And you've got, you know, think about this. You've got believers in, in persecuted countries, even today, wherever they were at. And someone was recently sharing with me, some of our uh, Chinese church uh, friends were explaining to me, it's getting really much more difficult in China right now. But the same can be said for other nations around the world where there's intense persecution. And what do they always want? One of these. They plead for Bibles. There's amazing testimonies of copying when there's one for a whole group they copy and memorize because they don't know how long they're going to have it or if it's going to be taken away if this book is just a book of fairy tales why are they so afraid of it why do they ban it more than any other book if it's just made up people's lives are changed when they take this and they apply it here's what should cause us Grief is that right now, in particularly in North America, and I would say Europe as well, we've got Christian leaders and pastors and seminary teachers and so on. They're waffling on this. They waffle on truth. They're intimidated by the culture. They're intimidated by the voices of culture. And so they don't have a commitment to the authority. That's that word, important word. They're not committed to the authority of Scripture. They like the book, but they're scared of the authority of Scripture. And so they're caving in to whichever the way the wind is blowing. So, yes, they have a well-intentioned desire to speak in love, but in doing so, they've abandoned truth, thinking that it's either or. You know, you can be all, all truth and no love, and that's not good. You can be all love and no truth, and that's not good. We're to bring the two together. I'm speaking the truth, but I do it because I love you. I want to do it in a loving way, in a kind way, in a gentle way, in a convincing, persuasive way. So I'm going to give you four little tests of, of, of how to know if the teacher or the doctrine that you're listening to is helpful or accurate or not. Four little tests. One is the Jesus test. The Jesus test is when you hear something, you hear someone speak, or when you read something, it's something doctrinal, does it elevate Jesus over a doctrine, over, over group or denomination, or the other way around? So, for example, I've got friends that are LDS, lovely folks, loving the bits, but they... They would, they would say, we believe the Bible, but we believe Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon more. 
So they would be elevating something, a doctrine above Jesus. That's, that's the simplest line you can draw. It's the Jesus test. The second would be the gospel test. Is what you're listening to, the person you're hearing or what you're reading, does it promote the gospel that is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, necessary because of our sins? Does it promote and teach the gospel or does it say there's some other way to be saved? Third test is the Bible test. Does this person you're listening to or doctrine you're reading accept the Bible as authoritative, that what it says has to be obeyed and listened to? Is the teacher that you're listening to planting the seeds of good biblical fruit in your life? That's the Bible test. And the fourth test is the character test. Is the teacher who you're reading or listening to on podcasts or whatever, does their character support what they're teaching? That's, in fact, in the New Testament, one of the biggest criticisms of false teachers isn't even necessarily what they're teaching, but it's the kind of people they are. They take advantage of people. It says they take advantage of, of, of one place, they take advantage of women, or they misuse money, or different ways. Watch the character. Those are four tests. The Jesus test, the gospel test, the Bible test, and the character test. Listen, we are, we are people of the, we are people of the Bible. We, we believe this book. We live our life by it. We build our doctrine around it. We hold to it as true and reliable and faithful. And you say, but there's all these different translations. How do I know what to read? Listen, King James Bible, translated in 1611. Okay? I, I don't disrespect the King James translation of the Bible. I just personally find it difficult to manage 400-year-old English. Some of you love it. Great. No problem. Something a little revised out of that was the New King James Version Bible. New International Version of the Bible is probably the widest English translation. I use something called New Living Translation because for my small brain, I can understand it. The simple words. Here's, here's the reality. When you... If you get a little bit confused, like, well, why can't they just make one Bible? I'm telling you, because we don't all speak English the same way. And good, godly people have said, can we find a way to make this, take the truth of it, take the accurate translation, just make it, like, understandable in, like, regular vernacular English. Some of you are smart enough to understand King James. Go for it. That's awesome. I totally respect that. I grab, I struggle with it. I can't understand those big words, right? All right, so how are we going to do this? We're people of the Bible. We believe it. We teach it. We apply it the way the apostles did. What are we going to do with this? Three things. Three things. Bible reading, Bible teaching, Bible sharing. Bible reading, I just urge you to get in the habit of Reading it for yourself on a consistent, preferably daily, at least regular basis. Something amazing happened about 500 and some years ago. This guy named Gutenberg invented a printing press. Transformed the world because he put a Bible in any, the hand of anybody who wanted it. Somebody invented the internet. Put the Bible in many translations. You've got it on your phone in a hundred different versions, you can read it anywhere, anytime you like. Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty four, it says, 
anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on solid rock. And even when the storms come, that house will not collapse because they've built their life on hearing and obeying. So we wanted people who read it, listen to it, obey it. I always recommend this little tool we have called the R&R journal. It's got a couple different reading plans. Read it for the day. Write something in the, in the journal. Reflect on that. Pray. Good to go for the day. Bible teaching. Get to a place like this or in a small group setting around couches or around a table or on a Monday night group here or different places where you get to there's some Bible teaching. Now that takes it from the personal kind of me and Jesus moment where you're in a larger setting like this. Let the word wash over you. The Apostle Paul says it washes us. Third one, Bible sharing. That's more that small group setting. More the, the one-on-one or the, the group of five or seven or twelve people in your room. And you're not simply one person's downloading information to you, but you are sharing what's happened. Often it's a combination of those three things. Thursday mornings I meet with a group of guys and we quietly read our passage. We quietly write in our journals. Then we go around the circle and we share what's happened. Then we pray for each other. It's kind of a mix of all three of these things. Bible reading, Bible teaching, Bible sharing. Don't let the Bible in your house just sit and gather dust. It does even less good than reading it and ignoring it. Be patient. Be persistent in your habit of being taught through Scripture. But here's what's going to happen. I'm going to invite worship team. We're just wrapping up here. Worship team, would you come? We're going to sing one more song. I, I think as you as you gather, you're going to experience what the what these believers experience. You're going to experience community. As you gather in places where you're sharing the word, your life of community gets deeper. You're not just talking about the weather or about what you, where you went out for dinner last night. As you explore and unpack God's word together, you get to real stuff. But why this is hard or why this is confusing or how this means to you or why I don't feel like a lantern today. I feel like a candle that's being burned up. And you get to unpack that and talk about, well, how do we shift and how do we apply this in different ways? You're going to experience the presence of God. I've shared with you the story before in our small group of, of, of praying for this, this gal. And she was healed of a brain tumor. And it was just a simple home group gathering based on the Bible. As you read the Bible, you're going to get some answers to the questions in your life, but not all of them. Not every answer is going to get answered. There's lots of questions that we cannot manage in this life and we got to wait and you're going to experience the good and faithful character of god we're going to re-sing that song we sang earlier in the service the goodness of god i've been bugging christy to teach me teach us a song for like six months or something because as we just as you walk with the lord and you are honest with what he's teaching you you can say God is good. Oh, life was hard this week. God is good. Oh, this year was... Somebody said, like, I had a year from hell. But you can still say God is good. All my life, He has been faithful. Let's stand together. We're going to sing the song. We're just going to just lead us in with a prayer. God, we just thank You for Your Word, the Bible that You've preserved for us. It's amazing. The richness of this book. Lord, people have fought over this. People have died for this. Lord, we've sometimes so casual about it. Probably have a dozen Bibles on my shelf. But it's not simply that it's words in a page 
Jesus, it's your word for us. Jesus, you are the living word. And it's your word you've given, you speak to us, you guide us through it. It's the authority for our lives. Teach us to love your word more and more, Lord. Teach us to reflect on the goodness that you demonstrate through it in our life. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.